You're listening to Trek FM. Hey guys, this is Mike. This is Max. We are the host of Commentary, Trek Stars. And uh, before we get this episode started, we just wanted to say that uh, we are finalists for the Parsec Awards. Are you familiar with the Parsec Awards? I'm familiar with the term Parsec. Mm-hmm. And yes, I know about the Parsec Awards. Okay. Uh, it's a celebration of speculative fiction podcasting. And we are finalists in the Best Speculative Fiction Fan or News Podcast Specific category. And, uh, you know, we we, uh, we just thought that that was pretty cool. And we just wanted to sort of uh, make note of that. And uh, we, we have no chance in hell of winning because we're up against Rebel Force Radio. Well, we don't talk about Star Wars or Doctor Who, which yeah. is why I think that we should introduce a segment into all of our episodes where we compare the episodes and stuff we're talking about with our favorite episodes of Doctor Who and our favorite Star Wars movies. It's an option. It's an option. I don't know uh, at this stage in the game whether or not it would help our cause, but yeah, I mean, we are definitely the... Uh, the. I have a pretty good fat Dalek voice. <laughs> we are definitely the underdogs here. We, we're going it's up against... There you go. See, if we had done that earlier, we, we might have had a, a better shot at winning. But as it stands, we're up against Rebel Force Radio, which I'm pretty sure is the number one Star Wars show. And we're also up against Doctor Who Radio Free Scaro, which I'm pretty sure is the number one Doctor Who show. And we're up against two other Doctor Who show, shows, which are way more popular than ours. So, um, yeah. We're, we're, we're definitely going to try to go down to Dragon Con and be there for the ceremony, and uh, there's no shot of us winning. But if we had won, if we were to win, we would say thanks to uh, Chris Jones uh, for letting us actually do this show, and we'd say thanks to Drew Stewart for pushing for us to do the show and also pushing for the show to... Uh, be on the network and we'd also say thanks to our significant others for letting us do the show in the first place um so yeah we'll keep you posted but uh yeah and if you're at dragon han dragon con dragon han i'm gonna start a new con called dragon han Mm -hmm. everyone has to dress like han solo okay and And, a dragon and if you're at dragon con (laughs) take a look for us or let us know if you're there tweet us or something yes we may both be there we may both be there we hopefully will both be there. Yeah. All right. On with the show. Hello and welcome to season two, episode 12 of Commentary Trek Stars, a show which deals with the work of Star Trek creators outside of Star Trek. Today is part four in our look at Richard Matheson as a writer of books that were turned into movies, and today's book is his fourth book, The Shrinking Man. I'm Mike. I'm Max. And today we're joined by our friend Matt. How's it going, Matt? Pretty good. Thanks for having me on the show. Yeah, well, thanks for coming. So, um, without you, Matt... There may not be a commentary, Trek Stars, because you're the one who convinced me to watch Star Trek 2, 3, and 4 after watching Star Trek 1 and not being impressed. Way to go, Matt. Well, I mean, to be fair... Made a monster. Starting with 1. I mean, who does that? 
I, I really? guess that is kind of weird. Mathematicians. <laughs> oh, no, wait, they start with zero. Never there mind. you go. <laughs> Never mind. What about you? How did you get in, interested in Star Trek? Well, I think I watched Star Trek 2 when I was at my uncle and aunt's place. They had it on Laserdisc. Awesome. Um, so it might have been then. I can't remember, though. What about Richard Matheson? You know, I didn't know that he wrote books. I didn't know that who he was or anything like that until you happened to say, hey, we're doing this thing. Why don't you uh, read the book and join us? All right. Well, today's book is The Shrinking Man, which was his fourth book. It was written in 1956, two years after I Am Legend. And uh, Max, would you like to give a, a synopsis of The Shrinking Man? Spoilers, as always. Sure. There's this guy who's on a boat with his wife, and he gets sprayed with some radioactive mist. But it reacts to some pesticide that he inhaled earlier, and that makes him start shrinking. Which is crazy, because that doesn't happen in science. Okay. So, uh, Matt, what, what were your thoughts on the book? Well, you know... I, I have to be fair. I uh, cheated. You don't have to be fair. I, no, I do. I have to be honest. I, I, I cheated. You I read about 100 pages, and I'm like, oh, my goodness. This whole book, he's just moaning and groaning, blah, 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 blah. Why would I want to sit here and read another 100 pages of blah, 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 moan, moan, moan. Oh, my life sucks. Eh, wah, wah, wah. So I flipped, and I read the last chapter of the book. I rarely ever do that. And... I was like, oh my goodness, you didn't just do that. Oh, So in the end, what happens is he shrinks down to nothing. Well, but no, indeed, he's not nothing yeah. because apparently shrinking one-seventh of an inch every day is not accurate because then he shrank from one-seventh of an inch down to the microscopic, which isn't one-seventh of an inch. So if I would became, expect became, scientists to be able to actually measure in a reasonable amount of precision and accuracy to of small values, they wouldn't say, oh, you shrink one-seventh of an inch. You might, they might say, oh, you shrink about one-seventh of an inch or a slightly less than one-seventh of an inch. Whatever. So, but he's never going to become negative one seventh of an inch tall, right? But if you're shrinking and you're always shrinking a constant value, you're going to go from one seventh to maybe just shy of zero. But then the next day, poof, you turn into zero. But that doesn't mean that he would cease to exist when he gets to less than a seventh of an inch. Well, what would happen then? Well, I think what would happen is what happens at the end of the book, where he becomes some other kind of size entirely. Okay. See, but but in the description of the book, no. I mean, he he is actually not a seventh of an inch. He's larger than zero. He's not at the he, he's at the microscopic level. But I mean, that that's totally inconsistent with anything else that has happened. I do not think that the, that that is a problem any more than every other thing having to do with him shrinking. I can't believe that the problem that you're having is the mathematics of well, that, the amount of that's his the shrinking. Most, that's the most blatant because they spell it out. They set up rules But it's for not it. the most blatant. It, well, Everything it, in, in the story has ridiculous science to it. Well, yeah. The descriptions of objects vary wildly 
uh, in terms of what scale things are. Well, that's that's just a perception. I can I can I can ignore that. Okay, but regardless, either way, it doesn't work. Um, the 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 science in it is is problematic at best. But this is a a problem which is unique to the book, and you know the reason why they did it is obviously so that they could have that fake at the end where you know the whole time he thinks he's going to be turning into nothing and then at the end he doesn't which i think is kind of dumb so so on the whole matt you did you like the book or not um yeah i I did i thought that the format was kind of interesting so the the format of the book is each chapter starts off with the current time you know when he's less than one inch tall and then at some point something jogs his memory and he remembers a time when he was larger and it sort of scales down all the way to the point where at the end of the book, his memory is back where he's starting the book. Yeah. So, and I, I found that format kind of interesting. I thought that it segued well between the two, but the only problem that I had with it was that he was angry for the first half of the book, both in memory and in current time. And then, by the time he gets to the second half of the book, he starts having hope. And, surprisingly enough, he has hope back when he was in his memory, as well as current time. And that seems to strike me as being weird, that he would start off as being angry, and then get hope, and then get angry again. Like I didn't have a problem with that structure uh, so much, because... It, in a sense, is broken up into two parts. You know, there's the part before he was in the cellar and the part while he was in the cellar. Right. And, you know, his life was different at, at both those times. So, um, I don't know. I, I did really like the structure, too. It was kind of similar to, well, I mean, there's a ton of books and movies and everything that do that. Reservoir Dogs comes to mind, mm-hmm. where you have, like, sort of this this big event but you're constantly flashing back to what happened trying to you're thrown into it and then over the course of the story you catch up to where you were at the beginning and and you find out what was going on yeah i i i like that format as i said i I like the format of the book i thought it was it was good because it showed you both sides of the situation you know i think you're you're my my concern was attitude yeah the attitude that he had It, it it seemed like there was nothing that would cause him to lose his hope all of a sudden. I think he's. I think that the reason that it like sort of oscillates between like you know the 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 hope for a reversal or some sort of like return to normality and the frustration that it isn't is sort of because that's how it's going on in his head. Because every few minutes, like that little wall of denial that he's built up gets shattered. And he becomes frustrated again. But that's what I'm trying to say. It, 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 there, there's a point in the book when he meets Clarice and he sleeps with her and then he goes back. He's, he's, he's turned over a new leaf and he's totally hopeful. So he, he's, he's decided, I'm in charge of my life regardless of what it is. And then again, he decides that when he, when he makes the, 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 the I'm going to, you know, I'm going to kill this spider. I'm going to get the bread and I'm going to kill this spider no matter what because I'm a man. He decides that. So at those two points, he's decided, okay, he's turned over a new leaf, and things are the way that they are, but 
he's going to take whatever he whatever whatever abilities he has and he's going to use them to live his life to its fullest whatever that might be so you have these two points where he suddenly gains hope or in the second case it's like no i haven't gained hope i've i've grown content with the world okay i'm not happy but i'm content okay fine i can understand the distinction but there's 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 these points there's these these two points where he's suddenly going from anger and frustration with the situation and anger and anger but then there's nothing that would cause him to lose that hope and contentment once he gets into the cellar i that's that's, totally disagree every time he became incredibly frustrated and lost hope there was a catalyst there was something that instigated it and it happens a few times so i mean like it's true it does sort of like oscillate between those two things but like it is always like preceded by at at least some sort of indication that his current state is not going to last. Well, Max, what did you think about the book in general? I don't really get into these shrinking stories. The science of it, I have uh, way too many problems with the science of it to be concerned with the the amount of shrinkage per day. But the sort of like the metaphorical relationship of the of the narrative is is somewhat painfully obvious because it's it's so obviously like I'm a white guy in the 50s and all these people are trying to take away my supremacy of the society at hand and I don't really feel comfortable with that and I don't know how I'm going to deal with it I feel like I'm becoming marginalized or you know shrinking and then that ends up making the character seem kind of like an archetype for an entire group of somewhat overprivileged bigots. And that gets a little frustrating at times. But the the sort of uh, the, the, the subtextual connotation doesn't really take away from how terrifying that would be. And all of his his sort of like, you know, his accidents, his calamities, the, the 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 terrible things that occur to him after he begins shrinking, are essentially as a result of him trying to get back what he had, and it only starts going well for him when he accepts what's happening. I, I did not like this book. I uh, it, it had some problems with uh, just being rather boring. Um, I, you know, the, there, there seems to be the, the two halves of the book that they keep on cutting back and forth between our, you know, the, um, the, the stuff in the cellar and the stuff before the cellar. And, you know, I just saw an interview with, with Matheson and he was talking about how, you know, the idea originally was to do it all chronologically. And he decided to, uh, split up the, the structure, um, I think mainly because he didn't want to have all of this exposition up front. The problem with that to me is the exposition, the stuff pre-seller, while not tremendously good, is way better than the stuff uh, in the seller. You know, in the seller, it becomes sort of like an action story. And um, something that I've noticed in all three books that we've read so far is Matheson is not very good at writing action. You know, I mean, the action itself you know, may may be fine when translated to the screen, for example. What you know, the actual action beats are fine. The problem is that he doesn't know how to like physically write it. 
I mean, and this one was just so unbelievably frustrating because he's trying to explain how what these things are from you know uh, uh, an inch tall person's perspective. So you've got him trying to explain you know what uh, a lawn chair is, but then also trying to explain it from a different scale. And it's just like I'm having enough trouble following the action. Now you're using all of these clever words and everything to describe a lawn chair. And it's like, this is not working, you know, and then it's just incredibly boring and frustrating and I don't care about this. So, so what about the movie? Uh, the, the first one, The Incredible Shrinking Man, was made a year after the, the book was published. It was written by Matheson himself and directed by a guy named Jack Arnold, who's probably best known for directing Creature from the Black Lagoon. Max, what did you think about the, the movie? I can't stand this movie. Okay. Um, the, everything about the book that, uh, that I have, I am able to appreciate is removed mercilessly. What? Like the pedophilia? Like the pedophilia? Like the sexual, uh, scenes that are occasional in the book? Like the kid? The kid's just not there. Well, to be fair, she doesn't really play a big, role in the book either no but the idea that there's a kid the idea that he's a father is sort of a part of like the whole thing the idea that the kid is bigger than him and more powerful than him that's significant and the removal of that it seems like most of the things that were removed for the purposes of making the movie were removed simply to make the movie and the experience of the protagonist more palatable because the idea that he is shrinking gradually is pretty horrifying when you take it seriously, but when you play it as, you know, an alternative arena for action, it ends up being really tedious. And that's why I don't have a problem with the action in the book, because I think it's not really so much like action sequences as it is like peril sequences. What about you, Matt? I, I, I thought that the, the book was good. I mean, it wasn't excellent book but i thought that the movie was a lot worse i mean i I feel like it portrayed the main events of the of the book just fine but i think you lost a lot of the 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 interesting aspects of the book i mean what what made the book so what, what made the book so interesting was his introspection and his his dealing with this frustration like so so the pedophilia bit like yeah that needs to be there well i mean it kind of does because it expresses in yet another way his frustration of his inability to express himself sexually Mm -hmm. okay and that was totally lost in the movie completely oh yeah it was just too uncomfortable so, I mean, I, I feel like the, the interesting aspects, the intellectually interesting aspects of the books were not discussed at all in the movie. And it was just, just okay, well, there's this guy and he's shrinking. Oh, he's angry. Blah, blah, blah. He lives in a dollhouse, meets a girl, blah, blah, blah. But, I mean, nothing happens, really. He's just, oh, just, oh, well, there is somebody my size. Okay, well, fine. I'm going to hang out with her. I'm going to talk with her. She doesn't pity me. I shouldn't pity myself. Okay, blah, blah, blah. I'm going to write my memoirs. Blah, blah, blah. Oh, suddenly I have to fight off a cat and I get stuck down in the <laughs> cellar. And then I have to fight a tarantula instead of a black widow. So I, I feel like the movie really did nothing. 
I, I did not like the movie either, although I did think it was better than the book because I think it solved a lot of the uh, the um, problems that the book had in terms of telling the story. Yeah, I, I would agree. I would agree. The movie told the story better than the book told the story. Um, for instance, they ignore the whole one-seventh of an inch thing. Mm-hmm. He's just growing in spurts, yeah. or shrinking in spurts, sorry. And, and that that's totally fine. Okay, well, then that makes sense. Okay, suddenly... He's one-seventh of an inch. Oh, no, he's suddenly smaller than that. Okay, fine. I can live with that. But uh, it just just left a lot of the intellectually interesting material at the door. What's the point of telling the story if you're not going to tell those parts of it? Right. If you're not going to tell the interesting part of it, then... Yeah, well, as someone who didn't find the book interesting to begin with, you know, I didn't really have a problem with that. I mean... I think that the uh, the action uh, played a lot better. I think that uh, you know the explanation for how he got into the cellar in the first place made a lot more sense, and also um, it, it worked better from the wife's perspective because you know they actually thought that he was dead instead of just like he's gone, you know, kind of thing. You know, there's there's that I, I don't know the the stuff with the wife in, in the book really uh, was problematic to me because it didn't really feel like she missed him like she she thought he was dead there was no closure there for her you know it really just felt like well he's gone and we we we, to be honest we don't know what she was feeling that's true in the book because once he disappears i mean he said they searched for me for hours even after it went dark yeah they were looking and looking and looking and there is there is mention of them believing he's dead I guess so. Like, he hears yeah. them say that. Yeah. So, I mean, like, it is basically the same. Still, I don't know. To me, like... I can't imagine somebody liking the movie more than the book. I, I, well, I mean, I don't I don't like them either. But, I mean, I did think that the the, the movie was made better. Um, but That's I'm not going to... I'm not going to defend the movie <laughs> because it's, it's not good either. All right. Well, uh, 24 years later, the book was adapted again into a movie. Uh, this time... The Incredible Shrinking Woman, as suggested by the novel, it says in the credits. Uh, this one was directed by Joel Schumacher and stars uh, Lily Tomlin as the Shrinking Woman. And it is a much more uh, comedic approach and takes uh, a lot more liberties. But at the same time, um, I was surprised by how much of the book uh, remained intact. You know, the, the basic story is there. They just change... Uh, you know the the setting and 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 stuff like that, the tone and everything. Max, what what, what do you think about uh, the Incredible Shrinking Woman? Um, that movie I saw when I was a fairly young kid, and I hated it then. And uh, I I have no interest in revisiting it at any point. Although I do think it's funny that it was directed by Joel Schumacher, and I'd never thought of it before. But it does make sense that a guy would. I like that would be interested in doing a sequel to a previously existing thing and making it dumb and silly and hopefully funny, but not really funny. For those who don't know, Joel Schumacher is also the director of Batman Forever and Batman and Robin. What about you, Matt? What did you think of The Incredible Shrinking Woman? Um, I think in some ways it worked better, but in some ways it didn't work at all. Um, for instance, one of the one of the one of the key aspects of the book is which was not touched upon in the movie by the way was the fact that the family was going to be losing its sole breadwinner 
it also did you, you didn't really get the feeling that that the mother lost control of the world at, like via vis-a-vis with with her, her her kids i mean there was that one scene where there she was trying to convince them to do something and then she ha 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 falls in the closet and gets hugged by a teddy bear and stuff or a robot yeah. So I, I, I guess I, the way that I think of the movie as being better than the book, because it doesn't try to be the book. It just uses this one basic idea. Okay, there's somebody who's shrinking. What kind of a situation could this be? It's a, it's a comedic idea. Okay, ha, ha, ha. Some funny things happen. But really, it's changed so much. I mean, they, they bring in, like, some animal rights type stuff, you know, with the monkeys and the gorilla. But but the the core ideas and in thought experiment of okay there's a shrinking person that was discussed in the book and then ignored in the in the movie was totally blatantly just removed entirely and not even tried to come be brought up in the incredible shrinking woman the remake and i think that's okay i mean if that's what they wanted to do then that's fine but i yeah i i know what you're talking about and i and i i actually think there's kind of a an uh, possibly an interesting and de facto improving subtext to the lack of the sort of uh, the, the the terrestrial normal drama of the shrinking person by removing that aspect of it the subtext of the incredible shrinking woman is essentially yeah but it's not really a big deal just the unintentional unintended subtext of removing those 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 real world problems from the equation i think actually has a positive effect on it because the 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 sort of black comedy of so what she's shrinking it's not like it really matters has an interesting subtext that might be the only saving grace for that movie i guess you could say they updated it for the times and uh you know that's perfectly reasonable i think the the problem with this movie is that uh it's very very uh poorly executed the humor all falls flat everything is so you know stylized and over the top that uh you know if you if you can't embrace the the world that that they're creating then um we're talking about the incredible shrinking woman not the batman franchise uh, yeah but I, I think that this suffers more than that but i mean it really is kind of like that it is like the batman forever of of the incredible shrinking man you yeah. know I, I was surprised at how many uh like big names from the era or at least like uh, you know well-respected names from the era were involved in this you had lily tomlin ned Beatty, uh charles groden but uh ultimately I, I i couldn't stand the movie i thought it was really uh <laughs> really problematic now um believe it or not in february it was announced that MGM is remaking The Incredible Shrinking Man. Uh, and the script, at least at the time, was being written by Richard Matheson along with his son, Richard Matheson Jr. Um, he said that it was going to be uh, you know, a, an update, essentially, for uh, the modern era. They, they talked about you know, using um, modern technology you know bringing that into play like nanotechnology and stuff and and having that be a part of it 
I don't know. I don't know if this thing is still getting made. I'm assuming it is. It's supposed to come out in 2015. I don't think they have a director or anything attached to it. I'm assuming that the, the script has been written because usually when they announce like this person is writing this thing, that's usually that usually means this person has turned in the first draft, you know. So it's quite possible that we will see another incredible Shrinking Man movie, once again written by Richard Matheson in a couple of years. It, it was also almost made into a movie uh, a couple of years ago um, by Brett Ratner, who wanted Eddie, <laughs> Eddie, Eddie <laughs> Murphy to star in it. And that was going to be a comedy version about a magician who turns himself small accidentally or something. I don't know. So, so Matt, any final thoughts on the Shrinking Man? Yeah, I would say I would say if you want to pick up a short book um, that has some interesting ideas and you can overlook some things, you know, pick it up. It's it's a pretty quick read and can give you some interesting ideas, much more so than the movies. Uh, don't bother watching the movies. What about you, Max? Um, this is not a Matheson story that I think is particularly high on my list of Matheson things. I would say that if you enjoyed the, the various Twilight Zone episodes and uh, the various movies that have been based on his things, then it seems to make sense to at least explore this because it is interesting how it uh, uh, sort of prefigures some of his later writing tendencies and his interest in, in the science fictional exploration of sociological events. It's interesting how both this and I Am Legend deal with a particular kind of change and a transition of the white male in America. All right. Yeah, I, I did not like this book at all. Um, I would say it's definitely the the worst of the three that we've read so far. And I think that the um, the movies are not good or worth watching either. Although I'd say that the shrinking man was better than the shrinking woman um although i am looking forward to uh this remake I, i'm curious to see how uh matheson would choose to update the story um given a uh you know 56 year gap or 57 year gap in between when he originally wrote it and now so so that could be cool so matt any any Anything you want to promote? Anything that uh, anywhere people can find you on the internet? You're not on Twitter, are you? I'm, I'm not on the internet. I All am right. completely backwards in that regard. Which is weird, considering the fact that you have a degree in computer sciences. Yes. But whatever. Okay. Well, as always, you can find us on our website, commentarytrackstars.com, where you can find uh, various audio commentaries for various movies, including uh, a couple... Uh, which Matt has joined us for, like Star Trek Three: The Search for Spock. And um, you can find us on Twitter at ComTrackStars or email us at ComTrackStars at gmail.com. Um, you can also go to Trek.fm and leave some feedback, either on the forums or on uh, the, the page or, or whatever. We will be back next week with our friend Rudra to talk about A Stir of Echoes.